listening to episode 322 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we examine the BBC's Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And before we started recording, wanted to check in with you, and it sounds like we both liked it and are ready to take up episode two. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good with that. So Yeah, this was... Know, um, one of the... Uh, I was just say this was a show that well not a show the the book um, that I, I I don't really remember I read it ages ago um, but I remember really enjoying the book I really liked it it's a huge book but I read it pretty quickly but I, I, unfortunately I don't remember that there there were some details uh, from this that I remembered but I you know I couldn't even report back of how closely faithful it was to the book because it's just it's been so long. Yeah, no, I've never read the book. I noticed that Michael posted in the Facebook group that he's not only read the book, but seen the series, loved both. And and from the little bit that I've read, and I wanted to stay spoiler-free as much as possible, lovers of the book love the series as well. So it's that, that's obviously a good thing. But, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the Facebook group is that uh, several weeks ago when you and I broached the possibility of doing this show i figured all right i got some time i'll sit down and watch it and i got like 10 minutes in and it really wasn't doing it for me so i stopped and then once we committed to doing it just the first episode i sat down again over the weekend and really enjoyed it 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 was almost a totally different experience for me right well it does like yeah if you're unfamiliar with it it starts off in a very stuffy I guess not even Georgian uh, English. I don't know if Georgian would be the word for it, but even pre-Victorian England. Uh, and so it's it's not a great, like not an exciting start, I would say. But I did remember the whole deal with the Friends of English Magic and the, the guys who aren't fans of practical magic. They just like theoretical magic. So they don't actually do magic but they call themselves magicians and they meet and everything. It's just so like things like that. Just, just really like, I just think it's hilarious. So yeah, it's, it's really good to see that. Okay. Well, cool. Well, let's do a little bit of housekeeping and then we'll, we'll get into that. And it's been a couple of weeks since we brought up our Patreon account and we'd like to thank our supporters, Mark, Fred from the Netherlands, Dan, Cindy, Travis, Mike. Um, you know, we have the Patreon account to help offset some of the costs involved with producing Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. And, you know, you can go to our website, sci-fi TV rewatch.podbean.com, and there's a Patreon link on the right if you're interested, or you can go to patreon.com slash sci-fi TV rewatch. And, you know, we offer a few goodies uh, for those of you that do become patrons, and they're listed at the Patreon website. Now, if you want to contact us, as always, our email is sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail if you want to do it that way, record your own audio clip as Fred does each week, and then just send us the MP3 as an attachment. Consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right, so for my what we're watching this week it's it's actually i'm taking a page out of your book it's actually what i'm listening to and this is a new podcast that i found which is called through the looking glass a lost retrospective oh it's a a limited series produced by sci-fi wire 
which is associated with the Sci-Fi TV network. Mm -hmm. Six episodes covering topics that include fan involvement and entitlement, the role of the showrunner. And if you didn't get it the first time, I'm talking about the ABC show Lost. So the 15-year anniversary is coming up. And as I said, it's a limited series, only six episodes. They're about 35 minutes each. Uh, one of the women hosts is a critic named Maureen Mo Ryan, who I've, I've read her stuff a lot. She writes all over the place, uh, Entertainment Weekly. Uh, I don't even know a lot of websites, but the hosts are really great. They have a guest now and then, but it really digs into the phenomenon that was lost and that whole water cooler involvement that you and I have mm-hmm. talked about many times that is getting lost with services like Netflix and Amazon. And even if it's a show that's not on one of those services that drops the whole season at once, so many of us get caught up with what we're watching in real life that weekly episodes build up on our DVR and we don't have time to watch it as it airs. So it's a whole world that doesn't necessarily exist, but so many of the things have carried over into, you know, uh, contemporary fandom, if you will. And, you know, certainly one of the things they talk about is fan involvement. So it's called through the looking glass, a lost retrospective. I don't think you'll be disappointed if you're a fan of genre TV. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. So, and, I did finish season three of The Magicians, knocked out the first two of season four, and all I got to say is like, WTF, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, just wait, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to wait. <laughs> but uh, anyway, what about uh, you? So I, there was like two things I thought I could think. Anyway, I'll talk about the, the, the big one is uh, Peaky Blinders has, the new season of that has dropped. I saw uh, that. A couple days ago. Yeah. Um, and I'm a huge fan of the show. And now my sons are massive fans that, uh, my son, Sean, actually, he's away at college and he ordered a, um, a poster that's like a silhouette of Tommy Shelby, uh, who's, uh, the, the guy that, uh, Killian, uh, Murphy plays in it. So it's just, it's just really excellent, uh, drama. It's kind of like. It's really it's like kind of like the Godfather with uh, these Northern Irish, uh, no, Northern Irish, Northern English uh, gangsters rather than Italians. Um, but it's a lot of the the kind of the gripping drama that was in that show, and just really like it. And and Tommy Shelby is is the classic antihero. He you know is not a good guy, but he turns out to be the good guy. You know, nice. I, I don't know what it turns out. I haven't finished season uh, season six yet, but uh, the only the only bad thing about it is that they only have six episodes per season. So um, you know, you, you you I can watch them, you know, a whole season in you know like two days basically, and then then it's just waiting around for for next year. You know, cool. You know, the one show, and I haven't watched it yet, but you know how you. Well, I, actually, I don't know how your system works online. I have Direct TV, so if you pause something or even mute it, 
sometimes the screensavers will come on advertising other shows on HBO, you know, all sorts of networks. And there's this show called Los Espookies. I don't know if you know anything about it or what. And I'm no. It's a Spanish show. Fred Armisen from Saturday Night Live is, is in it as well. And I'm thinking like, what the heck? It looks interesting, sort of. So I just Googled it. And, and apparently it's this group of people and they have a business where they set up horror scenarios for people either in their homes or elsewhere. So it looks, it's comedy, 30-minute episodes. That's something I'm going to check out at some point. It's like and, uh, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I, I, it looks intriguing. I figure a half hour I can check it out, but uh, I'll report back when I take a look at it. Yeah, well, that looks that actually looks really good. So, all right. Well, let's talk some uh, Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. This is episode one of the only season, and on the episode itself, they refer to it as Chapter One: The Friends of English Magic. And as we said, it's based on a book by Susanna Clark, which you mentioned you read a while ago. All seven episodes are written by Peter Harness, all seven episodes directed by Toby Haynes, who directed three episodes of Doctor Who, a couple say the of names Human, familiar, Sherlock, yeah. and he okay. also directed the Dark Mirror episode, USS Callister which I think ah. most of us have seen and, and really enjoyed. Yeah, that's a great one. That's, my, so, yeah, that's A lot of people, that's their favorite one. Yeah. Now, this one aired the 17th of May, 2015, and there's really no plans for a season two. There is no second book that I know of, so it's just a self-contained mini-series, I guess, if you will. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that's what it's... Uh, uh, whatever I, I looked it up on, like IMDb or whatever... It's um, described as a miniseries, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of questions that come out in this first episode and, and actually okay. come out fairly early on. Why did magic in England die out 300 years ago? And the magic that has died out apparently is associated with something or someone known as the Raven King. Mm-hmm. Not talking about the Baltimore Ravens. And Lamar Jackson, no. who is currently yeah. the Raven King, but he, uh, yeah, not so much after this past game. But you know, he's still doing okay. They won, <laughs> yeah. Not now, right now, you mentioned the idea of practical magic, and we learn early on that we have practical magicians and theoretical magicians. And you know, we, you know, one of those early scenes that we see are, are with the group that you mentioned the society of magicians who are not magicians at all it it almost looks like it's just simply an excuse to get out of the house and drink with friends and retain whatever level of pomposity you can carry over from (laughs) that's a great way to put it yeah your daily life into this so uh uh, they, they, the I, thing is, they, they actually think of themselves as, as magicians, right? Like, that's the funny part about it. Like, we what, say they're not magicians, but they're totally are like, yeah, we're, we're magicians for sure. Right. We just and, don't actually do it. Right. And, and that's what really gets the ball rolling is, is that this guy, Mr. Secundus, feels like there should be magic. And he's 
sort of the catalyst for you know the initial events in the episode. Sure. But the the other thing that that I thought about this whole practical magician versus theoretical magician, it, it's a line of thinking that we could apply in a lot of areas. You know, the sports exactly. fan who thinks they know better than the coach, right? TV right. fans who think think they know better than the show's creators and showrunners. Podcast uh, fans who think. Oh wait, no, I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing we get that prophecy, and we'll, we'll delve into the specific specifics of that later. But that question: Who are the two magicians mentioned in the prophecy? And it appears that the two are going to be Jonathan Strange and Mister Norrell. I would think. I, I don't know that that's well, any big that's spoiler. The name of the book. <laughs> yeah, the name yeah. of the show. So um, yeah. And, and this uh, shadowy character, Vinculus, speaks to both of them. So that certainly uh, leads us down that direction. But the other thing that comes up is Norrell and the idea that he can help the military with magic. So the question, how can magic be applied to war? Is he talking about bringing soldiers back from the dead? Because we've been down that road many times, you know. Well, I, I think he's just saying that there is there are things that he can do that could help the war. Now, this takes place during the Napoleonic Wars, if I remember correctly. And I'm not going I, to, I think I might recall something, but I'm not going to say it because, you know, I'm going to try to stay spoiler. But um, so, you know, Mr. Norrell uh, is under the impression that, you know, like his trick with the statues. I mean, that's what he said. Well, you saw what I do with the statues. So, you know, I guess he could just roll out a bunch of statues and he could have them march against the, the French or something like that. So. Right, so more illusion than anything else. And you can certainly see how that would be a positive as opposed to bringing people back from the dead. But since we have that scene in this episode where he brings that young girl back from the dead, it got me thinking about that. And again, whether it's the short story, The Monkey's Paw, or any of a number of stories, bringing people back from the dead rarely yields positive results right and you know and he says i don't mess with fairies i don't treat with them but he needs a fairy to pull off this trick and and he i guess he bargains away part of the girl's life right i wasn't sure if it's his life or the girl yeah that, that he is giving to the fairy but yeah so you know there's you're absolutely right like there's no, nothing good ever ever came. And the monkey's paw is obviously a classic uh, example of that. Right. Uh, we're introduced to a fairly small set of characters in this first episode, and and I certainly think that's great. We, we've mentioned Mister Norrell, who has amassed this vast library of books on magic, and we get the idea really early on that he's not associated with this society of theoretical magicians this is somebody that sees himself as a practical magician and is really working at his craft at this point right and i mean early on you can see that the you know jonathan strange and mr norrell are going to be they're obviously foils they're completely opposite in almost every way possible mr norrell is very fussy and uh fastidious and um doesn't isn't comfortable in public 
just like speed is library practicing magic. And of course, Jonathan is this dilettante and kind of a fop and, you know, quite useless. It seems um, nice guy, obviously has a good heart underneath. It seems because there's these good people who are friends with him. We could just see that obviously these two are, are on a convergence path with one another. And, um, but you know, it's going to be hilarious when they finally get together, I think. Yeah, and I love Childermass, who is, I don't want to say he's Norrell's servant. They don't seem to have that kind of a relationship. It's all, almost as if he's his traveling secretary or whatever you want to call it, somebody that, that pushes Norrell when needed, but has yeah. total confidence in this man. He's under no illusions that Norrell has the potential to be a great magician but for whatever reason in his psyche, he, he needs me to help him, you know, reach his, his peak abilities. Mm-hmm. And, and I just really love that character because he comes across as, as a sinister guy at first. But then once we really see what he's all about, it, it, again, at least in this episode anyway. That's a great example. And, um, you know, we, we're seeing early on this theme of you know like appearances are are very deceptive and Childermass is a, is a particularly good example of that because he does he's unwashed and unkempt he seems very cross at first he makes all the magicians sign this contract that basically makes them give up magic for which is really kind of mean-spirited when you think about it like these guys are very full of themselves that's obviously true but weren't really they weren't hurting anyone you know and norrell's taking their you know their raison d'etre away from them Um, well that's true and i guess i tried to look at it from the perspective that once norrell proves that he is in fact a practical magician deserving of you know the moniker magician it would really be doing them a disservice to allow these other people who they don't even really seem that interested in theoretical magic. Like, like I said earlier, they seem to really just want an excuse to get together and drink. On the other hand, as you said, they're not hurting anybody at this point, but to make a prediction. And and I certainly haven't seen episode two yet. I'm guessing they are certainly going to be threatened by the notoriety that will undoubtedly follow Mr. Norrell and, I guess, ultimately, Jonathan Strange as well. So, you know, on that respect, I, I was okay with Childermass's bargain that he made with them. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but it wasn't Childer. I mean, Childermass was just the guy making them sign. You know, this all came from Norrell. Oh, yeah, um, true. Uh, I, I guess, you know. Yeah, you yeah. know, I almost wonder whether it's that Norrell is just that single-minded genius type that almost needs somebody oh did you remember to eat today oh no i forgot well here here did you remember to oh okay so you could be right and and i guess we'll find out maybe but yeah um now you mentioned jonathan strange and uh, he's a great character right away uh you you mentioned the descriptor dilettante and and we get that scene with his i guess she's his fiance that's certainly the way it's kind of presented or at least girlfriend i I can't remember if 
they're actually engaged to be married yet. And I guess that's her brother, the preacher. Yes. Okay. He looks a little bit older than her, but not old enough to be her father. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, with the wigs on, these guys always look a lot older than they are. But Well, you know, and that's the thing. When I first started watching it, I'm thinking, ah, oh, 19th century. I love this period. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. This isn't the 19th century. This is the 18th century, Yeah. which we don't see a lot. And it seems well, it's, it's, the 19th century. I think it's century, the 19th century, but it's very early 19th century. Okay, so like maybe eighteen. Okay, oh, you said the Napoleonic War. Yeah, so Napoleonic War like eight, era. Eighteen yeah, fifteen ish, something around. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, <laughs> I think Waterloo yeah, okay. was sometime around there. Yeah, like eighteen fifteen, uh, eighteen twelve. I don't know. They were fighting us. They were fighting the French. There was all kinds of. I mean, this, Europe was at, in constant warfare for you know two hundred years or so. And it's all you know ever from the French Revolution on. So. Well, hopefully this podcast won't be our Waterloo. So, all right, yeah. um, nice. the uh, gentlemen magicians, and I'm making air quotes. As we said, none of them have ever even cast a spell. They just discuss magic, but they've got this reputation of wisdom, which I, I think we're pretty certain they've created themselves. Right. And this young man, Mister Segundas is questioning why modern magicians are unable to work magic that they read about. And of course he's laughed at by these fat old men and he's really the catalyst for getting the story going. So uh, what role he's going to play, whether he's going to foster strange and uh, Norell, I guess remains to be seen, but I I just love the, the, the scene where he's with the men questioning. It's like, how dare you? Right, right. And I said earlier that I felt sorry for them, and I still do, because I thought what – I really do think that what Norrell did was was very mean-spirited. But yet, it, you can't deny that these guys, to a large degree, deserve what they got, you know? Like, yeah. they were – like I said, just like, as you said, the, the way they laughed down Segundus was, you know, like, shows their arrogance, right? And And they were – due for a comeuppance and they they got one for sure right and obviously that question that is fundamental really to the opening episode why is magic no longer done i mean we've got books of magic versus books about magic and you know i think we get that idea from a show like the magicians where the spells are in many cases written down and the magicians are actually following a step-by-step procedure, albeit with a lot of hand-waving. And right. hand-waving seems to be uh, you know, part of Norell's magic as well. But there is a prophecy that magic would one day be returned to England by two magicians. And, and again, like you said, uh, just look at the title of the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Segundus learns early on that he is not one of the two. And even though we really don't see it overtly, you know he has to be disappointed that he's not one of the two. Sure. Oh, absolutely. You yeah, know. which is because, and, and while, you're, and like you said, he's the one who really gets the ball rolling on this thing in the first place. So, <clears throat> yeah, that sucks for him. Right. So he goes to visit Mr. Norell because... 
Segundus has been trying to acquire certain books about magic and of magic, but it just seems like books continually elude his grasp, and he finally learns that, well, it's this Mr. Norell that's buying them all. So tracks him down, he sees Norell's vast library, and he's allowed to you know look through the books on magic, and many of them he thought had been destroyed. And, and, and again, this is where they're laying out a lot of the groundwork. Magic died 300 years ago, seemingly overnight, which then, of course, makes us, with our experience in the magic world via the magicians, librarians, uh, Merlin, somebody probably cast a spell. Now, I don't know. I haven't read the book, but that's what I'm guessing, that something happened to stop magic overnight i mean look you know i mean certainly that's a part of the magicians that that magic disappears at at one point but norell tells him hey i can perform magic okay dude let's see it yeah and that was a really really cool scene in uh you know york minster york minster that with the statues coming alive and i was just like man you know they really they really put out the uh, the stops and production values here, you know. Like it was that was great. Well, yeah, and you know, but even before that, when, when he goes to the meeting, and, and of course their reaction is that you're lying, which then precipitates the challenge to to prove that he can. And, and as you said, yeah, I was wondering what was going to happen, and then the fact that he performs the magic from his studio rather than on site. Just ah, oh, I just thought that was mm-hmm. a great scene, like you said. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, the sets and the um, the the CGI in this were are just really, really well done. I was just really impressed by all that. So, so were all these statues kings and queens? Is that the idea? And I don't know if that makes a difference. If that's going to play. A, a significant role down the road, but the the men all run out terrified, and uh, yeah, unlike you, I didn't feel sorry for him. I uh, <laughs> maybe you didn't feel sorry for him, but uh. I, I felt. I, was, I mean, they, like I said, they got their comeuppance. It was well deserved. But on the other hand, I, I guess I shouldn't say I necessarily feel sorry for them so much as I just thought, like I said, I just thought it was the whole making them you know, sign that they will no longer, you know, call themselves magicians or whatever. I just found it mean spirited and, and, and petty on uh, Mr. Norrell's part. Now, the other thing I found interesting, uh, Segundus, who obviously is becoming an important character in that after his catalyst role, is over now he he's still involved and even though he's got to be disappointed i love the fact that he wants to make norrell's feet common knowledge he, he feels as if he deserves the notoriety childermass says his master's talents have been hidden long enough but i i think we get the sense that you know you might want to keep things on the down low for a bit longer so right I, i'm I'm curious to see how that plays out, but the fact that the, you know Segundus shows not a bit of jealousy, but rather a, almost pride in that he feels maybe he has something to do with 
Norell and you know w- w- again whatever notoriety he can receive because where are we headed with this okay fine magic's going to come back it, it, it's maybe been here all along is there something special about Mr. Norell is it just the fact that for whatever reason, 300 years ago, people abruptly stopped performing magic. Were all the magicians killed? I mean, we don't really have the details yet. Clearly, magic still exists because Norell can perform it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So. Hey, Dave, real quick. I was just, <clears throat> you, you asked the question that I couldn't let go. Like, who's buried in Yorkminster? And it's mostly archbishops, but... There's a very literary, uh, a, a literary burial there. Henry Percy, who was Hotspur oh. in in Henry the uh, Fourth, oh, part okay. part one, part one, yeah, Henry the Fourth, part one, because he's like the right, he's the uh, the the foil to young Prince Hal. He's he's the guy that King likes because he's a go getter, and he ends up betraying him and everything. So yeah, well, he's buried there. It's there's been there's decades since I read that. Okay, yeah. cool. All right, well, well, we mentioned Jonathan Strange, his girlfriend, Arabella, and she wants him to get an occupation. Well, generally, there's only one reason. Who hasn't a heard that girl before? Wants, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you need to get a job. Well, so uh, he seems to be smitten with her as she is with him. So it, it doesn't seem as if she's going to have to push too hard that they clearly want to be together. I guess the the little kicker at this point is that she's going away with Henry, her brother, to start a new parish. Basically, she's telling Jonathan, "Well, in the meantime, get a job, and you know, then I guess we can get married." Which, you know, for this time period, that's what people did. And and like like we said, it doesn't seem as if she's pressuring him to do something he doesn't uh, want. Yeah. To. I don't think it's so different today when, you know, women tend to, you know, want the the guys that they get married to to actually have jobs or employments or something. Whereas, yeah, you know, Jonathan has, he's just, uh, he doesn't really seem too inclined towards work, you know? Like well, that, there's when he that, goes but, to see his father, you know, and, and it's basically his father, work? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so... Uh, you know, we don't necessarily, I don't think, learn how his father has accumulated his own wealth, and apparently he supports Jonathan, but it, it, it does, it's almost like that social class where work is beneath them. Yeah. Um, so, but but it's, still, it's just really funny because, like, you know, when um, Henry is telling about all these things he could be doing, it's like... Ugh. You know, like it's just like have you ever been in a factory uh you know like yes yeah, like you said just of of the aristocratic class where you know actual labor is you know, like you know beneath them right he has this romantic notion you know you mentioned the factory well we know from history that the the factory conditions in england in this time period were horrific you know, we'll we'll leave that aside. But what also happens here is that he he goes to see his father, and he finds his father and his father's servant both dead in the same room, and right. so we're wondering whether there's foul play involved or what. But now or it could be suddenly, the window that he refused to close. <laughs> yeah, 
So, so, so I just got to say now, this at, at this. Hold on. I just I got to say this at the top because yeah. when I was a freshman in college, so I went to school in Buffalo, right? Which for those of you who, who don't know, Buffalo, New York is kind of known for being a place that is not warm. Um, but this guy down the hall would sleep with in the, in the middle of winter, would sleep with his window wide open and a fan blowing on him. And he'd put on like three layers of sweats and he'd wear his winter coat. It was the craziest thing. So where was he from? Northern Vancouver? No, he was, he was from, he was from uh, Depew. He's from Buffalo area. Okay. So, all right. Well, Jonathan, now that he's found his father's dead, suddenly realizes that he has to run the estate. So now he has an occupation, if you will. And, and I don't even, I probably shouldn't have qualified it with, if you will, because an estate that size and whatever businesses his father has, uh, you know, involvement in that Jonathan's going to have to deal with that. So, you know, so that's now added to the mix. Norrell and Childermass travel uh, to his new house. And uh, of course, news of Norrell's magic has made the papers, which again, I, I think we're likely to see that putting that news out there for everyone to see. I mean, it's like announcing the name of the mega lottery winner. Oh, you're shocked right. that people are knocking on your door asking for stuff now. Uh-huh, well, right. you know, this is magic. So there's all sorts of, of yeah. And Mr. That- Norrell is not ready for that. He's not, he's not accustomed to it. Like I said, he, he obviously is accustomed to uh, being alone, you know, and, and studying peacefully and quietly in his, in his house and that is just not going to happen in london right now you know you had mentioned earlier that that europe at this time period has seemingly been at war forever in one form or another with you know one country or another and at this point norrell wants to make at this point norrell wants to meet with the secretary of state for war with his offer to help and it got me to thinking why that area so did he perhaps serve in the military which seems unlikely based on you yeah. know the, the way he conducts himself but it got me to thinking did he experience something in war that has led him to this point that he wants to do something to you know make war better if you will i mean why not go to you know the the secretary of interior and let me use magic to help with the housing for the poor or feeding the poor or cleaning right. the dirty water or what, you know? So I wonder whether this war thread is going to uh, carry on. Um, you know, I assume England's at war at this point. They're like we said, seemingly always at war and Sir Walter is understandably skeptical and sends him away the thing about Childermass, he's much more of a realist when it comes to norrell being accepted as a true magician and like i said it's almost like he needs Childermass to to balance him norrell doesn't do well in a crowd you know at that one party he retreats to that empty room with the books and 
of course, he's mm-hmm. persuaded to perform. Which, oh my God, how funny was that scene? Well, yeah, and then when he's announced, the guy's boasting about me, Mister Norrell, and everything, and then like he's like, um, that's well, me. he introduces him as the savior of English magic. All right, nothing uh, like a little pressure on the guy, but interestingly enough, Norrell doesn't seem to be bothered by that sort of thing, despite the fact that he, you know, seems uncomfortable around other people. But right after the host announces him to the crowd, he's disappeared. And again, in my notes, I've got disappeared in in quotation marks, because I don't know if we really see him leave, do we? It's almost like all of a sudden he's on this deserted street being accosted by a man who's talking about the prophecy of the Raven King. No, we see him go out the door. Oh, we do? Okay. He he exits. Yeah, yeah. He goes out a side door and then he can't get back in. So when Vinculus accosts him, he, he can't uh, escape. Okay. So now I feel like I'm reading Macbeth and he recounts the prophecy. Uh. The first shall fear me. The second shall long to behold me. So we assume at this point we're talking about the two magicians that are going to bring magic back to England. So who's going to fear him, Jonathan or Norrell? The first shall bury his heart in the dark wood beneath the snow, yet still feel its ache. All right, so now we know we're we're dealing with the second set of witches' prophecies in Macbeth that it's not at all literal so right we don't know i mean do you have any thoughts on what that might mean yet or bury his heart in um, the dark wood beneath I, the snow well yeah i mean i i have thoughts but again like i i'm at this dangerous place where i don't know if the thoughts i'm getting are actually original thoughts or like little bits of what i remember from the novel. I, I mean, it sounds ominous, right? Right. Like Barry is hard. It sounds. Like, I mean, my first thought is that something bad is going to happen to uh, Arabella. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the second. I, look again. I wh- where whether that, that's coming from, whether that's an actual legit thought or something. I remember. I don't know. No. Okay. And that certainly makes sense. And and the 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 next line. The second shall see his dearest possession in his enemy's hand. That could also refer to Arabella, who maybe is stolen away from Jonathan by a character that we haven't been introduced to yet. But then I love the next line, both will fail. Well, what does that mean? Both will fail to bring magic back to England or fail at something else? Right. Well, that's the thing about prophecies, right? Right. They're they're pretty they're they're pretty interpretive and wide open. So right. the nameless slave shall be a king in a strange land. I will return. So is the eye magic, or is the eye the Raven I th- King? Oh, I think the Raven King. Okay, that's yeah. I, I think the Raven King right. is right. pretty pretty clear because that's these he's talking about, it and then the the gentleman later is talking about it too, right? Right. Is he not? Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. So, so, all right. So, so we see him, Norrell, that is at the party and, you know, they're, they're just pushing him, perform the magic, perform magic. And somehow the notion to bring a young woman back from the dead is raised. The outcome. 
quite unpredictable, I think. And, and you know, the host is trying to manipulate him into performing something amazing, plays to his ego. There is scarcely a form of magic more dangerous. And, of course, anybody that's, as we said earlier, that's read a, even a little bit understands that's the understatement of the century. So, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because Norrell is himself the one who comes up with the idea of raising uh, her from the dead. And the other two guys, and they're like, dude, no one's talking about bringing someone back from the dead. Like, oh. where, what are you talking about? You know, like, you just see it, like, really, like, what the hell is he talking about? No, no, we're not talking. Actually, we're not talking about that. No. See, I can't remember now. Does he uh, kind of stumble into the room in, in which the dead girl's lying on the bed? covered is that how he gets that idea see i can't remember that whether that's how that transfer i guess that's no not. no they just they, they 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 tell him that the ladies died and he like goes there right away oh okay and the other guys are like uh dude no no that's that's not what we're talking about yeah we're talking about you doing a magic trick raising someone from the dead no we're not talking about that kind of a magic trick um, I, I don't. I don't know those two guys' names, but they're really super funny. Okay. Well, a, a scene that is far from funny is when Childermass meets with Vinculus, the guy who issues the prophecy. Mentions a book. Childermass is using, I guess, an early form of tarot cards. Uh, I guess you would say. Um, I, he calls them cards of marseille or something to learn the truth and he has a message to deliver to norell he asks childermass do you know what i am yet and uh, you know uh, is he going to turn out to be the raven king i mean he takes the cards and he starts flipping them over and all 10 turn out to be identical kings and then of course you think you're Watching Game of Thrones once again, the Raven is coming. His spell is about to be cast. Right, right. Well, f- funny you should say that because um, uh, because uh, the uh, the guy playing Vinculus was oh, in Game of he Thrones. Was, he uh, was the 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 faceless guy. The no, no, he was. See that that's at first that's that's where I went. But he wasn't. He was a Thoros Amir. He was the guy, the priest who kept bringing Beric Dondarrion oh, back to life. Okay, right, 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 right. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So Vinculus has, has made this prophecy: two ma- two magicians shall appear in England. The name of one shall be fearfulness. The name of the other, arrogance. Both will fail, which uh, obviously ties into the prophecy that we heard earlier. So now. Jonathan Strange is going to be fearfulness and Norell will be arrogance or is it going to be the other way around? Again, both will fail. And then he offers to sell two spells to Jonathan who buys them. And, and again, mentioned earlier, you know, the the tie into a text like the magicians in which spells are written down and, and filed away and, and things like that to be, to be called out and certainly we've seen that in the magicians going to great lengths to acquire certain specific spells and, and mm-hmm. generally those were you know really uh, i guess things of, of a last resort because of whatever situation going on at that point 
But then Strange tells Henry and Arabella he intends to study magic after Vinculus identifies him as a magician. I'm sure that's what Arabella wants to hear at this point. So he, he he's gone <laughs> from getting a job so they can get married. Uh, you know, honey, I I think I want to be a be a musician and go on tour. That's how I'm going to make my money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And it's just it's so it's so perfect. Um, anyone else might have just rejected Vinculus out of hand, but but Jonathan's fascinating. Yeah. And he yeah. <laughs> I like how he, he goes after him with a. Yeah. Well, well, and then he attempts one of the spells that enables him to keep an eye on one's enemy. And I love this visually. It works. And through the mirror, they can see into the home of his enemy. But I wasn't necessarily able to identify his enemy. I'm, I'm not sure I was meant to at this point. Um, yeah. I, you know, at first I thought it was Mr. Norrell, but then they... You know, it was it was a really quick uh, shot. Uh, the the next scene was Mr. Norrell, and he, he wasn't sitting in his study or anything. So it's you know probably you know right. someone else. So then the I guess culminating scene in, in, in which Norrell brings Emma Wintertown, the dead girl, back to life, and uh, I'm telling you, I'm getting goosebumps even now because he begins to spell, and then suddenly this guy with big hair appears i don't know how else to describe him <laughs> wants to know norrell's yeah. master and suggests that he can restore the young woman to life but at a price and and as you uh alluded earlier it's a price that she must pay not norrell which that's eh, kind of a shady thing to do you know to no pun intended mm-hmm. to take someone else's life in your hands and make decisions for them yeah yeah absolutely and especially um with you know his his uh claim that uh he doesn't treat with fairies uh he ends up pretty quickly yeah. making a deal here. Uh, i mean who or what is this guy as you alluded it i guess he's a fairy but does Norell's desperation to be recognized as a magician get the better of him? I mean, is this one of those things he should have just walked away? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> but he, he's in too deep, right? He, uh, he wants to help the war effort and he knows, you know, something big like this will, you know, I mean, my my idea is that he, you know, he thinks this is what's going to get him, obviously, in Sir Walter's good graces, and will prove that he can do things that are useful. Right. Well, and when he hesitates, this guy understands immediately how to proceed. Well, maybe I should talk to the other one, and and of course, Norrell thinks he's the only magician. But right. you know, the whole idea that demands half her life, and of course, they do the math. And I didn't realize people's lifespans were that long back then. They probably really weren't, I guess. In a few, yeah. Well, know. I mean, if you were, you know, if you were wealthy, you, you would live a lot longer. You, you know, it's right. just if most people weren't. Right. So brings her back to life. She seems to be okay. And of course, uh, we're considering the consequences of returning someone from the dead, which will undoubtedly 
appear at some point. But uh, uh, so, uh, did you did you recognize the guy playing the the gentleman? I didn't. I mean, he looked familiar. I didn't. I didn't look him up. Have you seen Band of Brothers? I have. Yeah. So you remember the one episode with uh, Albert Bly? He's the guy who's like, like, uh, kind of afraid. Like the whole thing is about him, you know, getting the courage to fight. Because he like spent D Day hide sleep. It's like the third episode, I think. Uh, it's been a long time. I mean, the, uh, the the one thing that sticks out for me about that series is what a freaking good actor David Schwimmer is when he gets away from yeah. friends. Right. And, right. and, and his yeah. character in that is almost so hateful. It probably hurt him getting future jobs. He was so good at it. But anyway, I don't want to digress too too yeah. much. But. Uh, um, yeah, so since so uh, um, Mark Warren is the actor's name, and and he you know had a uh, and he's done tons, tons of stuff, and of course, like everyone else in Band of Brothers, was a uh, you know a British actor playing a, an American soldier. But uh, so he's done a ton of stuff in in, in England, but um, but I really remember him as as Private Bly from from Band of Brothers, and, and now I might have to go back and watch Band of Brothers just now that he's reminded me of that. So, all right, cool. Uh, all right, what else you want to bring up about the episode that we haven't talked about? Well, I like the fact that uh, Jonathan, you know, attests to his virtues as I hardly play cards. I drink very, very little, scarcely more than a bottle a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he's just, he, like you could like really be judgy with Jonathan, just be like, this guy is a total tool he doesn't do anything. He's super lazy. He just lives a life of idleness. But yet there's really just something about him that is really genuine and winning that we like. Yeah, we like the guy. Anything else? Oh, just another good line. When when Vinculus is telling Jonathan about being a magician, he's like, you don't make it sound very appealing. Choose someone else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like so i mean that's what i like there was all these like kind of like there was very some very funny lines throughout um the one dude lasalle's when uh norrell goes in to um to try and bring back uh sir walter's fiance i'm about to write a play called tis pity she's a corpse <laughs> yeah and so it's like oh ha 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 it's very funny all right, so yeah, that's uh, that's about. Oh well, the fact that she's missing half her pinky when oh. she uh, comes out. Oh, I didn't. So I guess that. that's the uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that, I guess that's the uh, the the price or whatever the the idea that she owes half her life to this uh, to the fairy. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we check in with Fred this week, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, the miniseries, episode one. First off, I want to come back to my half tip of the week from last week's podcast about Stumptown, a police series with Kobe Smulders as Dax Perius, a quite dysfunctional P.I., I named it a half tip of the week because I only had seen the trailer, but now I've seen two episodes and I really like it. It's actually a quite standard police series, but what makes it very interesting is that this Dax uh, plays actually a kind of man's role. So he, she's a little bit dysfunctional, drinking, sleeping around, fighting, 
but still getting the job done. The man-like role makes it partly funny, but also partly interesting. Second thing, I still want to compliment you that you revisited Dark Season 1 in five podcasts, and I'm looking very, very much forward to Season 3, and doing the same after Season 3, perhaps, for Season 2. A very nice idea. And talking about what's coming next... As uh, most of you know, I put a poll on the Facebook page just as an, let's say, stimulants to Dave and Wayne, what they could choose, because they have some difficulties to choose. And that's one of the reasons why they just took the pilot of this Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell to start with. But if you have a look at the poll, I also added just last week some extra suggestions uh, Dave made which was Time Trap, the movie, also In the Shadow of the Moon as movie, furthermore Van Helsing and Undone. Undone is kind of cartoon-like story. Funny is that you also talked about Madman, and my wife is watching Madman as well as Undone. I'm not. But what about Paul? More than 35 votes so far, and on top with 10 votes is the Umbrella Academy, which I would like also very much. And on the second position is The Magician Season 2. Of course, you did Season 1. So people would like if you go on with Season 2. But, of course, you're the boss. You're doing what you like. It's just um, an inventory of what your listeners, of some of your listeners, would like to be done. But I want to stress, don't feel obliged to do this. And I'm sure all your listeners will agree on that. Okay, going into Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. Whoa, was I disappointed. I didn't like it at all. Actually, I fell asleep. The problem I had with it, that surely in the beginning, it's all about what kind of magicians there are. Theoretical magicians that just study magic but don't perform it, versus people who really perform it and then have you have street magicians and blah 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 all about this and and not much is happening and then finally when something is happening they're in a church and these statues are moving that was not very impressive as well and i wondered why these guys of this magician society see it as a proof that Mr. Norrell did it because he was not there. He was uh, doing it at home, so on a big distance. But okay, they believed it. And then he went to London. And yeah, not not really intriguing. What I did like was the setting in the Napoleon War time uh, with the costumes and... Uh, the cinematography, it gave me a little bit th- the feeling of Amadeus, the film about Mozart's life. So that was all very nicely done. It was just too slow-paced and too much of talking. But there are several people who are very enthusiastic about it. It also had nominations for prizes on Rotten Tomatoes. It had a high score, but that's perhaps for the rest of the season. I first wondered, is this a mini-series or is this a first season and they got cancelled? But it seems that it's really set up as a mini-series. Michael R, or (laughs) aka Mike, said on the Facebook page, This show is so good 
and the book is one of my all-time favorites. So I thought, okay, when Mike is saying this, and I have a high opinion about him, so I thought, okay, this would be worth it. And, well, probably we then have to wait until more episodes. Previously, when this suggestion was made, I put a link on the Facebook group to a scene with these sand horses, and that's a very impressive scene. So that's in one of the coming up episodes. So there will be stuff in it that's that's marvelous. But this first episode, and especially as a pilot, I think a pilot should trigger you, and it really didn't do it for me. After second watching, it was a little bit better, because then you don't have high expectations. You know what's going to happen and what the pace is, and, and that not much is going to happen in the sense of magic scenes, etc., and then when your expectations are lower, it, it, it feels a little bit better. So that was all for now. I'm very curious what you are going to do. Great. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Ah, Fred's not uh, feeling this show, at least at this point. So, uh, and I understand that. I, I guess I can see it. It's not for everybody. You know, he mentions maybe it's going to take some time. But, uh, you know, and that's one of the things about pilots that we've talked about this before. Your pilot really has to be good. Now, I think you and I differ with, with Fred here is that I think we both feel like it really did a nice job setting the table for the six subsequent episodes. But, you know, it's not for everybody. Now, Fred brings up the poll and... uh I guess wants us to react to it. And uh, I think I can say with some level of certainty, the following, if we go through it real quickly, uh, we are, as we said at the top, we're going to continue with Mr. Norell and Jonathan Strange or Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. You know, I I can't imagine it's going to get so bad that we're going to stop midway. So, you know, we're, we're looking to cover this series, but after that, so, Umbrella Academy. Well, you and I have talked about it, and that's a possibility. Yeah. I, I mean, we, we really like the show, so, yeah. 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 Magician Season 2, you and I both have, have said that's certainly a possibility. Sure. Now, as much as I love Eliza Dushku, and trust me when I tell you I love Eliza Dushku, <laughs> I think you can probably eliminate True Calling from this list, Fred, uh, because it's it's pretty far down i I think on something that i want to do and part of it has to do with it's really limited availability from what i can tell dirk gently uh, i'm not really feeling no gently no no now i think i i i don't don't want to watch i like the first i mean i said before the first season i loved the second season i hated i don't want to go back there right uh i think you like the almighty johnsons more than i love The Almighty Johnson. So we'll leave that on the list for now. Uh, now, time I think, track. I, I feel like eventually we're going to do that. Eventually, I'm just going to pressure you yeah. into it, and and we're going to do it because that I just I love that show so much. Yeah. Now, time trap. That's a film, so that would certainly be a mm-hmm. one-off. Probably yeah. in, in, at a point where we're between seasons or whatever, and, and we're going to leave doable. that out there. The Ministry of Time. Uh, that's that uh, Spanish. Netflix series, right. time travel, sure. and uh, you know, we'll leave that on for now. Yeah, better than us, as we said last time. You've 
I don't know if you've completed it now or not. I did. I did finish it. It was great. I loved it. Okay. So that's obviously going to stay on the list. Uh, the podcasts about season two of Dark, uh, probably not. Uh, I mean, we'll get to it eventually. Yeah, probably. All right. Uh, Van Helsing. Again, I, I just think that's a show that, especially somebody that likes The Walking Dead, for instance, yeah. in, in which it's basically a horror show that's built around the hero's journey. And the characters are really well developed. And, and again, you, you've got to have the stomach for a show like Van Helsing. But if you can tolerate that, I think the payoff is really good because that's not the kind of show that, that I'm really uh, ordinarily drawn to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hemlock Grove, again, I think you liked it better than I. I would have to say you can take that off the list, Fred. Uh, you, you have a hard time persuading me to do Hemlock Grove. Um, in the shadow of the moon again that's a movie that would be you know sometime if we ever have a chance in between it's a time travel movie and and then of course the one i mentioned last time undone which is uh eight episode 20 they're like 25 minute episodes it's the cinescope so that's a possible oh right 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 yeah yeah, uh, you know anything on there i said that you disagreed with or yeah no not really I, th- I think the yeah the ones that you said are possibilities I'm agreeing with the ones you said we should probably strike from the list I'm down with that too okay. Um, okay. yeah all right uh, anything else about Fred's feedback uh, well I, I I agree with him about the Amadeus part oh, and I yeah, love yeah, that yeah. movie that that was that movie's so good I, I I have it on DVD actually and everything so um, but that, that you know part of that was like why I was like so. Um, impressed with the sets and the cinematography here. Yeah, it was dark, but it was just just so well done. And obviously, I I didn't live back then, so I can't say how accurate it is. But it certainly seems accurate, you know, which is exactly what you're going for with a TV show. Like, it doesn't have to actually be what things look like. It just has to be in line with what people perceive things looked like back then. And uh, and they just totally nailed it. The lighting was great. The sets were awesome. Costumes fantastic. Uh, everything just uh, the, like I said. I mean the, the the production values of this first um, episode. Even if I didn't like the script, I would have been super impressed with pretty much every other aspect of it. But I did like the script, and I liked the direction. I liked the acting. So yeah, let's go to season uh, to episode two. Cool. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and leave it there. I think that's a good place to break at this point. And that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. I want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Dark, which we just completed. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell, which we're just beginning. Uh, anything else going on in genre TV? Encourage you, as always, to join the Facebook group and share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss chapter two of Mr. Strange, Mr. Strange, Dr. Strange. We'll be back next week to talk about chapter two of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. But until then. And just like I would say to my sons every night before they went to bed, you, like your mother, are weak and skittish. 
and doomed to fulfill no function more useful than that of a clothes horse. 